Welcome to the ninth episode of Sarvinak Podcast. I'm Sarvin Sarvin, and today I'm so excited because I'm meeting a wonderful, beautiful, genderqueer Iranian artist who's also an actor, writer, dancer, creator, consent activist, mental health advocate, and also. They've published two, two poetry collections, and you can find one of them on Amazon. Like, oh my God, our guest is amazing. <laughs> We've got Anna Hita. Hello. Hi, Anna. Hi. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, it's such an honor to like have you here. I feel like. The first time that I met you was through Angelic and we, mm-hmm. yeah, we were both in the poetry workshop and then I just saw your name and I'm like, oh my God, home. <laughs> I was like, home poetry. Oh my God. <laughs> it's Anna. <laughs> mm-hmm. It feels so good when you see, um, when you see Iranian, especially like women or gender queers doing poetry Cause like, I love doing that. And sometimes I feel like alone, but like when I saw your name and just like, have you actually, yeah. Like as a role model, someone who's like yeah. published their work, it was just like, oh my God, I'm not alone. <laughs> so thanks for making me feel like that. Um, of course, of course. And that's, a that's so true. Um, I was actually in a workshop maybe three weeks ago. Um, and it was kind of like a more, I guess, professional workshop setting. And this one guy, um, Ali, mm-hmm. he DM'd me right away. And he said, it's so nice that there's another Iranian person here. Mm. I'm not normally like in spaces, even digitally, where there's Iranian people who are unapologetically doing their art. Totally. Yeah. And so for me, that was beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's crazy. I think Iranian people are some of the most artistic people ever and totally creative yet um you know we're still not included as much as I would like in those Mm -hmm. in those circles yeah I feel like it's getting so much better though I feel like especially the young generation like our generation Mm -hmm. like I see more of us like even when we did the workshop yeah like me and my uh me and Tanas was also Iranian yeah we facilitated the the women of Iran (laughs) storytelling workshop and I was like oh my god okay we still have a small group, but we still like, but yeah. it's a group. It's a group. It's a group. And we're there and we're committed and we're alive. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it was interesting what you said, because you said that you started. Can you tell me a little bit about your because um, you said you were more in slam poetry spaces and in North mm-hmm. Van and you actually there were actually more Iranians in your high school? Yes. Um, yeah. So I started doing slam poetry when I was in high school in the eighth grade. And actually, my friend Donna was the one who took me to my first slam session, um, and she's Iranian. And then I met my friend Nadia there, who mm-hmm. um, I would actually go on to self-publish my first chapbook with. So technically, I have three. The first one was um, something that Nadia and I did together. So it's both of our poems and both of our drawings in one book. Wow. Um, and it was such an honor and privilege that every single Wednesday, we could go in this small theater room and we could just openly talk and express and share ideas, share grievances, and then also heal and create. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't like, it didn't end with us being upset, but it actually ended with us creating new work and finding new worlds that we were dreaming up. Wow, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you were only in grade eight. Yeah, yeah, like from grade 8 to 12. And it was just such a beautiful progression. And it just felt like every year, I was like a sponge. And then eventually, I felt confident enough um, to co-captain and like to all these different things and to actually compete. um, And to be like, I have words that maybe I want to share with the world. I love that. And like, how did you start? Like, how does it work? Like each rehearsal or each session? Like, um do you just talked about do you talk about things that you're passionate about or is it more about self-discovery oh do you mean like throughout let's say like um if you are it's different if it's for personal poems Mm -hmm. for me there's a lot of reflection that takes place um Mm -hmm. there's a lot of free writes I'm a big believer in journaling I'm a big believer in just expressing 
however you can, whenever you can, whether that's literally being in your room, like talking to yourself, whether that's getting it onto a page, getting it in your notes app, doing whatever you need to do to let your thoughts live outside of your head. Um, and then from that, thinking what you want to do with those thoughts, how you want to present them, why you want to present them, you know, like, and mm -hmm. just really working on um, being thoughtful and deliberate and then boiling it down to exactly what you're feeling or exactly what um, you want to convey. And then if it's group poems, um, the process is a little bit different because, you know, it's a collaborative process. Mm. And so when, when, for me, when I'm doing group poems, I mean, first and foremost, um, like leave the writing aside, let's get to know each other. Let's get to be friends. Let's get to feel comfortable with nice. one another. Um, and usually if you do that naturally, you'll find what things you want to speak on together and you'll find your, you know, ebb and flow. And then, mm -hmm. then you'll get down and, you know, you'll take a concept and you'll actually slowly realize it, whether that's um, sitting down, writing it together, whether that's doing free writes and then combining them, whether that's talking about an idea and presentation first. Mm -hmm. um, I think it just depends on the project. It depends on the poem and it depends also um, who's going to see it. Totally. Yeah. So for, yeah, that's, that's actually interesting. So because sometimes I feel like with my poetry, at least when I write stuff, I realize that um, it's just, it comes from two mixed worlds, like here, but also in Iran. So mm. I feel like, you know, because I feel like part of me, not the whole part of me can be maybe understood or related somehow from the, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm just curious, like, do you obviously, the, the thing with poetry is like, it has to be so personal that it comes from you. But at the same time, that, yeah, I'm just curious, who was your audience? And um, yeah. yeah, well, actually, I want to go back to something that you said that I think is really fascinating is this idea that there is a world here and a world in Iran. Mm -hmm. Somehow these two very different um, truths that you have to hold, when in reality, they're both already inside you. They're both already inside me, you know? And so I think what it really boils down to is you actually don't need to be concerned with how other people are going to receive you, your mm -hmm. words, your reality, your creations. That is actually none of your business. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. actually, Truth. <laughs> I, I really think um, what is your business is what your thoughts are on those worlds, what your thoughts are on whatever you're feeling like I think first and foremost just getting in alignment with yourself mm. is really the only thing you need to do and I think the rest of it kind of will just will just work out and I think that's the beautiful thing is um not everyone is going to understand but I think some of the most beautiful pieces of art that I've engaged with are ones that I haven't understood um Sometimes I'll watch foreign films where I don't even know what language they're speaking and there are no subtitles. Wow. But I love that. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they'll make me cry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's because we as human beings have such a strong capacity to feel. And um, there's a statistic, like it's something like the age of, by the age of five, um, you have experienced every emotion in the world. Like every emotion that exists, you have experienced it. So by the age of five, you have experienced desperation, remorse, guilt, shame, love, possibly lust, like all of these, this spectrum of emotions. So that means that we all feel the same feelings and we have been for a really long time. So it doesn't actually matter if your story is going to be compatible with someone else's life but it's going to be compatible with their soul, their spirit, and their feelings. Oh my God. You just like blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Thanks mm -hmm. for saying this. Cause it's about, I think, yeah, just by based on what she said, I think it's about sharing that feeling, right? Cause it's all about themes. So if you share um, that loss, even though it's not the audience's loss, but they've experienced loss before, then mm -hmm. they just, they feel it down mm -hmm. it's not about and getting it or understanding it it's about feeling it yes yes and the thing is 
human beings are incredibly empathetic beings, Mm -hmm. especially when we're engaging with a story. Because the reality of a story is it cannot be false. Like it's not a it's not a statistic or a fact that I can contest. It's like if you are telling me about your day, you are simply telling me about your day. There's nothing in it that I can be like, that's fake news, because it's just you and your perception of your day. Like that is just <laughs> that is just the facts of the situation, you know? Um, right. <laughs> and I think, and I think that's why I really do think that storytelling and engaging with stories and making sure the people who are telling the stories are the people who are authentically experiencing those experiences Mm. is the key to creating genuine connection between us and bridging those gaps wow yeah (laughs) totally you know this is like a yeah it's a conversation that's been happening in our industry and it's like who gets to tell the story you know Mm, yes and I feel like sometimes I find myself that because I love what you said about like as human beings we can empathize with everyone and everything but at the same time it's challenging if you haven't experienced that then how can you tell it but at the same time, actors are weird. I don't know. You're an actor. <laughs> yes, I like actors could not experience it, but could somehow feel it. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I guess my question is like, yeah, who who gets to tell the story? That's why I feel like we all need to like write our own stories. I feel like I believe mm. a lot in that, that it's just like, at least for me, I don't know. Sometimes I just don't relate with, a lot of stories <laughs> um yeah. as yeah I feel like recent I mean not recently but I feel like it's been a long time that I've noticed that I need to really connect with the story in order to tell it like it has to be really important to me to tell it mm. which is hard because like I feel like with acting maybe I don't know I want to know actually more about your experience on um, film yeah well as, I, I just quickly want to say in order yeah. to connect to a story or to connect to something it doesn't need to align with your identities Mm. and oftentimes it will this is so true but the reality is like I just watched um Bo Burnham's comedy special and I was feeling literally every moment of it Mm. but if you put me and Bo Burnham side by side (laughs) you would originally think that we wouldn't have that you know you would originally think that I would not be able to relate to a story that was telling about himself right and so I think it's also um it's also keeping that in mind that there's so much more to us than the identities that we see at face level even though those identities are so incredibly important in shaping who we are just because of the world that we live in it's inescapable mm-hmm. but what happens when we peel past that what happens when you see me as more than a woman or someone who's genderqueer? What happens when you see me as more than brown? What happens when you see me as more than a body? (laughs) What can we explore about each other then? And the reality is that it's hard work because I'm trying to do that with people in my life. And sometimes it's hard when, you know, a white man is being a white man. (laughs) And I have to look past that and I have to look into their humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard work, but I think that it's possible work. And I think that is the world that I'm dreaming of. That is the world I would like to see, um, particularly in film and TV, which we can segue to that now. But I think um, I think it's possible. I really do. Totally. I love what you said about this whole, yeah, identity and stuff. But how do you do that? Because I've heard in film industry, I mean, it's it's different than theater because theater, I feel like in theater, you're more free to do that, what you said, like, you could be a woman, but you could play a male character. You could play a trans, you know, you, you could just like, it's, 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 it works. You could play with different ages on stage. You could be a young actor, but playing a mom or, you know, like playing in like a 50 year old or whatever, but like on film, somehow it's more real. Right. And they keep telling you to bring yourself in it. Right. Be mm-hmm. you and stuff. So how, how does that work there? 
Um, well, it's funny because as soon as you said that and how it's not, it's not possible to play different ages in film or it's not possible to play different genders, I thought about um, the documentary Disclosure. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking about how actually <laughs> so many actors that should not be have been playing trans characters, have been playing queer characters, and have actually been making quite a shit show of it. <laughs> um, and I think that's where film and TV is gonna have a reckoning, I think. I think we're onto something with film and TV that we haven't been onto before. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because you're right. Um, these things are quite real in our world. And that's why if a white girl ever played an Iranian character, I'd be pissed. <laughs> you know, and that's why, um, because it's not correct representation and film and TV is supposed to have accurate representation. That's why going back to Bo Burnham, something as simple as um, the movie Eighth Grade, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. actually casting young people, like actually casting people who are 14 years old instead of what Riverdale does where they cast characters who are literally 26 playing a 16 year old, you know? Yeah. Um, and actually casting a character who's in high school who has acne. Mm -hmm. How that is this insane opportunity to actually have life reflected back at us. And so mm -hmm. I think that's the difference is film and TV has the opportunity to do that. And I think we're starting to do that more and more now, which is really beautiful to see because there's moments in which um, I want to play a character that is so out of who I am because it is so fun to empathize with someone else. But the reality is it would not be okay for me to play a Spanish character. It would not be okay for me to play a trans character. It would not be okay for me to play an identity in that way because those identities are marginalized in the world today. Those identities literally actually can't exist freely yet. And so we can't freely exchange between them without that being, without that having horrible consequences for those identities. And it has a lot of trans violence comes from the inaccurate portrayals that we've seen in film and TV since the beginning of time. Right. And so now finally having shows like Euphoria, finally having, sh you know, just real. And then that comes into, but in shows like Euphoria, those characters are going through things that those people may never have, mm. but their identities are accurate. Yeah, totally. So that, okay. My next question is mm -hmm. why, why are you in film industry? What is it that you want to <laughs> industry <laughs> I'm just curious <laughs> that makes me laugh so hard because that's like how my mom talks to me my mom would be like you are such a feminist what are you doing <laughs> um and it comes down to a lot of things it comes actually I think first and foremost to the fact that I love acting I love to play I love to be different characters and when it comes to film and tv I love how permanent the art form is I love that it will stay in our world forever long after I'm gone. I mm. also love just the simplistic acting. I really do. Um, so the first part of it is just like, I just have a love for this thing. And this love exists whether I want it to or not. Mm -hmm. And I think something that's actually really been driving me forward lately um, in this conversation about representation, I have only ever seen one character who was Iranian in a movie who was introduced as such. And that character was in the movie, Yes Man, starring Jim Carrey. Have you seen it? No, I wanna watch it now. No, you don't. Um, so in this movie, <laughs> Jim Carrey, a but white man. <laughs> yell at each other, okay. <laughs> Jim Carrey, a white man, um, is going through this big life change where he's forced to say yes to every opportunity that comes his way. And it's supposed to be like shifting his way of thinking so that he can have a more fulfilling life. And I think that is a fascinating concept, but the thing is he ends up saying yes to everything. So if a homeless man asks him for a ride, he says yes. Um, if somebody asks him to pay for their drink, he says yes. He just says yes to everything, life throws him. And where this Iranian character comes into this script is that he is on his laptop and there is an ad that pops up that says, do you want an Iranian mail order bride? Do you want a nice obedient mail order bride who is going to be coming to you directly from Iran? Oh God, I rather and kill myself. <laughs> of course, of course, 
because Jim Carrey <laughs> has to say yes to whatever comes his way. He says yes. And so this Iranian character, um, you know, gets flown out to him and she has very few words. She is the butt of every joke. Um, and he is in love with a white girl in the show, obviously. Um, and so she has a very brief appearance as this joke lover, um, as this thing that can be bought and then sent back. Um, and I watched this movie with my parents maybe two years ago. Is it a, it's not new, is it? No, it's not a new movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> and this was after I had spent a year in New York, a okay. year in New York studying theater. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember just looking at my parents and their faces and I saw so much fear in my mom's eyes and it, it made my heart break a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, I think that's exactly why I need to be on Netflix. That's why I need to be on some CW show. That's why I need to be writing shows. That's why I need to be producing them. That's why I need to be what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. Because that is to this day, the only character who's been Iranian on TV that I have seen. Wow. Good for you, my friend. Good for you. Honestly, the reason that I'm so hesitant to do that, it's because of that, because I've only seen those roles given to, and in Hollywood, given to Iranian actresses. And I'm just like, and I know they say, you know, the beginning, <laughs> it's like you, everyone gets small roles, but like, it's different when my white friends get like one line roles that they're just like a cashier or whatever, versus mm -hmm. us getting a very fucking stereotypical role. Yes. The small stereotypical role is different than any small roles. <laughs> And that's a big difference. And I will add to this as well. Um, it is disheartening to see, like, let's be real. I'm going to be really honest with you for a second. It is so disheartening to see people who I know are less talented than me. Mm -hmm. it's just because they're, they are white. I see it happen. I see opportunities be given to people. Oh, um, yeah. Who are mediocre. And this happens especially with men, but also with women. Thoughtful work. Um, and I think, you know what, like, we all play a role in this world and you get to decide how you want to live your truth in your life and how you want to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. If something that I'm really passionate about is social justice and, you know, representation and equality and equity and all these beautiful, wonderful things. And I also have this passion for art, specifically theater and film and TV it only makes sense that that is kind of like my role. My role is to create more beautiful worlds in this specific industry. Mm. And I'm very happy to do that. And sometimes me doing that actually just looks like me loving myself. Sometimes it's just me showing up in a room. Sometimes it's, uh, it's yeah, it, that's all it is. It's not even that hard sometimes, which is funny because the expectations are so low. <laughs> right yeah wow um yeah I was reading a post recently and it said like my existence should not be activism that makes no sense um what I will allow my existence to be is being the role of an educator I will gladly take that on mm. but it should not be me existing in my body unapologetically should not be rebellion that is not the world I want to live in where a brown girl loving herself and if we're talking Iranians, um, a brown girl not getting a nose job and loving herself, <laughs> you know, you know, if, we, yes. if that doesn't make me an activist, <laughs> that doesn't make me brave, that doesn't make me courageous or an icon or a role model, that is the bare minimum that I think all human beings should have on this earth is to simply just be able to exist comfortably in their bodies, period. Like, that's it. <laughs> my god I love that thanks for saying that that is so beautiful it's like yeah I've I've definitely just when you brought up the nose job I've <laughs> yeah I've been there and I feel like it's it's really beautiful when I see more people especially our generation really like loving their 
Because you know what I mean? I feel like a couple, couple years ago, I was at an age where I didn't want to do it to just rebel or just be like, I'm, I'm, I'm different or like, you know, but now I feel like I don't even like that. I feel like now it's about, no, I'm okay with my body and I love my body. You know, I think that's, that's beautiful. But I feel like before that, it's always rebelling. But then mm-hmm. after that, it's like sitting in it and actually yeah loving your body and and the truth is it is rebellion because the reason Iranian women don't like their noses or Iranian men Iranian people don't like their noses is literally racism is literally capitalism is literally all these these huge oppressive systems and so you know it is quite it is in some ways also brave to you know be someone who's in a politicized body and to say I actually don't need that I actually don't need to lose weight I actually don't need that cream for my wrinkles or to dye my hair or to I don't need those things I will do them if I want to and I definitely support people's choices like you do what makes you feel good in this world no questions asked but it's doing it because you want to you know like I wear colorful hoops because I want to I wear um slutty outfits because I love it (laughs) I love it I feel good but I'm not about to change the way that I present or that I feel about myself in order to make someone else comfortable, especially when I know there's people that literally profit off of the insecurities of people. Exactly. Like you don't do it in order to fit into a group or in order to like not be stood out. You know, you do it because you want to do it. But that's the hardest thing. And I feel like it's about being your authentic self. And that's, mm. you know, it's it's hard to be our authentic self. Exactly. Because of all these systems that you mentioned, you know. They don't want us to be our authentic self, but poetry does that. Poetry allows Poetry that. does that, yes. Poetry celebrates difference and it, separ- it really celebrates um, anything outside of the norm. Mm. You bring that into a poetry slam and it is snaps, hoots and hollers left, right and center. And I think that's what really, um, that's why anytime I go to a slam poetry show, it feels like home. Mm. oh my god I can't wait for it to start like <laughs> be beautiful what are your thoughts on when people say I mean I, I hear people whenever people talk about gender queers or whenever people talk about just these events pride events they keep mm-hmm. saying it's a trend like especially like old school people they're like it's a trend like everyone is doing it the, just the word trend and mm-hmm. the word of like um it's just a phase or you know those terms I don't know if you've ever encountered those words yeah I mean um there's a there's a time when everything is a trend at one point and that's just a fact of life there was a time (laughs) um me too was a trend yeah you know um there's so many different things that are trends and to those I say for one thing that it's a just a phase conversation or this generation is the only generation like this I think about history (laughs) I literally think about the lineage of queer folk Mm -hmm. that have come before me and how much that lineage is deep it is so deep and this is a thing that has been a reality since the beginning of time this is the beginning of human beings there were queer folk since the beginning of human beings there were trans folk there were there were all of these things they always existed But the reality is there was so much fear around their existence. And there were so many people who had to literally hide who they were or who they were was hidden when it was talked about later on. Mm. Like I was was seeing this tweet about like remnants that were found of the bodies who would have been like two cis men and how everyone was saying that they were brothers or that they were, and how in history we keep literally erasing queer history. I love seeing paintings of like, literally there's a painting of like two girls touching each other's boobs and the painting description by someone else who is not the original artist will be like, these were two best friends. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. And it's like, no, no, those were two lovers. It's so clear. It's so present, you know? Um, And so I think a big part of the, the, this is the first generation to do this 
so false, so false. This It's just not true. If you actually read any books, if you actually speak to queer elders, they'll tell you it's not true. They'll tell you about the AIDS epidemic. They'll tell you about so many different things. I mean, I think about Iran, I think about how people who are gay are literally getting killed for it. And I think about how there are so many queer elders in the Iranian community that are in straight heterosexual relationships. Wow. Yeah. I've got that in my family. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think about that. And then when it comes to a trend, I think about even feminism and the rise of feminism as a trend, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think about how trend is supposed to be a bad word. Hmm. But isn't it really beautiful that the trend of the world today is to have these conversations? Hmm. Isn't that actually like, isn't that actually... It feels like a revolution, you know, starting... Isn't it kind of crazy that... Yes, BLM was a trend. Yes, it's not good for something to be only a trend for it to be empty words. But... Uh, I mean, I'm just in the, and I'm in the process of like um, speaking with theater companies in Vancouver, trying to find an internship and all that. And mm-hmm. every single interview, diversity, inclusion, equity has been brought up. Mm-hmm. There is no fucking way that was the case 10 years ago. Yeah. White ass Vancouver, no fucking way. Maybe one or two of these theater companies, but we're finally, we might be doing it really clumsily and um, there might be a lot we still need to learn collectively, and some of us might not be doing it for the right reasons yet. And some of us, you know, there's so much going on. But the thing is, human beings are flawed inherently. We are flawed. So any collective movement that we all do is going to be flawed. Mm. Does that mean it shouldn't be done? No, <laughs> it means we need to be we need to be invested in this being a long term thing, and we need to find ways in which we are actually going to do real, tangible long-term work wow but am I upset that it's a trend no I'm so happy it's a trend I really love what you said because I just love that you redefined the word trend because I feel like I've only been hearing the negative side of it um like even myself I feel like I would judge the term trend or whatever but I feel like because I would always think about the the lack of something or not the depth of something but I feel like you're right sometimes it starts with that you know mm-hmm. it's like yeah you gotta take it. it it takes time but it starts with a trend and then the intentions are always different but it, it gotta start with something <laughs> well it's a seed that's being planted to the point in which corporations and big organizations are acknowledging it mm. Mm. like no company now is going it like it's almost like we're we're not allowing certain things to keep happening that used to happen before there's actual consequences for companies who are blatantly racist there's actual consequences um to these things and my hope is that it's it stops being a focus of consequence and persecution and instead becomes a genuine Let's make space for all of us meaningfully. I really hope that's what it turns into. But it's really nice that these things are openly not okay anymore. (laughs) Like it's almost like the bare minimum, but it's, (laughs) it's like, we're all becoming well-versed in these things more than ever before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's tricky because sometimes I feel like if there are punishments or consequences, people... I don't know, they might like hate it more or they might just go to extremes. Cause you know how we talk about cancel culture. It's like, if you, um, cause I've really, I've heard a lot of like, if you cancel someone or if you tell the person that, yeah, if you correct them or whatever, then they might actually go more to the right wing even if they were actually more liberal. Like they might go to the extremes because of um, I guess of the hate or of the, loneliness they felt so yeah I guess my biggest thing is like how can we do this in a more peaceful way and in less intimidating way in less of like because I also don't like it when BIPOC people like I know it or like um, sometimes I felt like I was expected to know something or correct Mm. someone just because I'm 
a person of color and I'm like mm. bro I'm still like don't know what <laughs> I'm doing like and the whole fragility why fragility comes it's like I see people much older than me and they're white and I'm like bro like don't expect me to know it like I don't know like yeah I guess how to do it yeah the whole cancel culture or like how to do it in a way that it's not because I, I like what you said about the consequences and stuff and my only worry is like how can we do it in a way that um yeah the result is not the extreme like they don't go to the right wing or whatever yeah I mean I have so many thoughts I'm literally jotting down notes right now because there's so much going on um I think first and foremost you're right um cancel culture not only does it not work it's not actually real it's mm. not actually real because I think about anyone who's actually famous and has been canceled, quote unquote, and how they jump back into the industry two years later, mm. how they lose some fans, but not enough for it to really affect them. They still have their mansion. They still have their guest home in fucking Hawaii. They still have all these opportunities that other people could never dream of in their lifetimes, even though they might be more talented than them, more capable, less of a racist, less of, you know, a sexual assaulter, less of all these things, yet they're still not given those privileges. Um, so I don't actually think cancel culture is real in that way. I will say, I do think we are obsessed with punishment. And I think if we want any real beautiful change to occur, mm-hmm. we have to stop being so obsessed with punishment. And instead, we have to be invested in restorative justice, in accountability, in seeing someone else's humanity, in education, and an understanding that there is intrinsic worth in every single human being on this earth. Mm. Period. End of sentence. And that's hard, because how do you grapple with people who have done horrible, horrible things? You know? And yeah. so that's that's why I think... Um, Victim-centered approaches are the best because I think first and foremost, um, we should be working on working through damage that has already been done and making sure that the person that the damage was done to is actually tended to in the ways that they want, mm. first and foremost. And I think after that then comes, and I think, for example, if you're the victim of something horrible, you don't owe anybody empathy. You don't owe anybody forgiveness. You don't owe anybody um, any of that. I really don't. I think you get to stay mad and bitter for as long as you please because horrible, shitty things happen to you that you did not deserve. Yeah. But I do think that there needs to be other people who are not involved in that situation, who are professionals, who are well-versed in um, harm reduction and all of these other things that can then step in and take charge. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we talk about our obsession with punishment, we have to accept the fact that we can't abolish prisons. We cannot, like, we really need to, and it's hard because we hear about people in the community who have done immense harm, who have raped, who have done horrible things, and we want them to go to prison. We want them to rot in hell. Like, that's what we want. Um, but we have to have people who weren't in that situation who can step forward and be the support because if you are someone who is doing shit like that you need help more than anybody else in this earth I feel like the reason we're obsessed with punishment is because um that's like the first I guess reaction right that's what we want that's the initial thing initial response mm-hmm. but I think it might work short term, but it doesn't work long term. <laughs> and well, the reality is um, it just further dehumanizes people. And Definitely. I really want to make this so clear. I am not saying anything that people haven't been saying for so long. Literally, most of what I'm saying is a regurgitation of Black feminist theory. It's a regurgitation of so many people who have studied this for so many years, who understand how harm works, who understand Um, these things so much better than I do and they can articulate it so beautifully um, because they're committed to that work and so I think something that I think is also really important is if you're committed to restorative justice if you're committed to finding out how can we move through these things and become better you also need to really invest that time invest that time to read the right books to listen to the right people and I think and this is going to be a hard one for a lot of I mean I see this with a lot of people in Vancouver 
first and foremost, examining yourself and the ways that you crave punishment, the ways that you, um, mm. the ways that you perpetuate all this and coming to terms with the fact that most of the ways that we have been taught how to live are so cruel. They're so cruel and mm. they're not working any, anymore for a lot of, well, they were never working. <laughs> um, and admitting that much of what you know about living itself is wrong is literally not wrong immoral it's mm. unjust and I think that's a big process that I've been going um especially this year like you know not going to school like I've had a lot of time to just sit with myself and I think if more of us did that and if more of us just admitted that we don't know admitted that you know um we know what we're upset about but we don't know what we want to replace it with yeah it's like somehow we are expected to know but it's like Mm. hey like it's okay to not know and I feel like we all asking the same questions and we still don't have the answer or sometimes we have the answer and we define it like you define so many things today for us but then the next moment is like oh my god I don't know I don't know what it is or I don't know how I feel about this or what am I doing right and I feel like hey that is such an individualistic way to look at it because Mm -hmm. you just said, I don't know. And the beauty of that is there are people who do know. And I think this is something that um, we need to grapple with is the people that do know are almost always marginalized identities, especially when they live at intersections. Mm. Um, You know why? I think I kind of know why. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's psychology. I feel like if you keep saying, I know this, I'm, I'm, I'm powerful. I'm this. And you see the mainstream people, they actually don't know. People who keep saying, I know, I'm good, I'm this, they're actually not. <laughs> they're just projecting it. But if you already know that you're good, that you just know or you're good, then you don't have the intention. You don't want to keep saying it. You don't want to prove people or impress people that you are. You just simply are. I think what it is is that. There's no way that you're going to know everything about every situation ever and how to approach everything. And I think people who um, are doing beautiful work on these, these topics, they come from that place um, of like, yeah, maybe I can, I feel pretty confident talking about um, consent. I feel pretty confident talking about um, sexual violence. And I feel pretty confident knowing when that's happening, when it's not, what to do, how to step in. I feel pretty good in those areas. I really do. But the reality is there's no fucking way I know every, everything. There's absolutely no way. And if that's the case, and I'm coming as somebody who um, has lived in a sexualized body for so long, who has lived in a politicized body, who knows these things because they're firsthand experience. And because I have a bunch of fucking girlfriends who will candidly tell me their experiences and because I have been reading feminist theory for so long and I have been looking to people who are much smarter than me for so long I don't I don't know the answer all the time there's no way and this is just for a very small subsection you know Mm -hmm. um and I think it's just admitting like we don't all know but we can all make an effort to know better all the time and we will never get there but we will keep trying to get there Mm -hmm. and there we have to abolish good and bad archetypes. No one is a good person and no one is a bad person. We are all just people. Mm, yeah. But we, are, we are so obsessed with being good people. And I think that it's like fucking all of us over so much because we're just trying to be better than each other when we could be better together. Wow. You said it, my friend. Totally. And I feel like the reason because we want to be better than each other I think it's because we live in this competitive world you know we live in this individualistic world where you gotta be great otherwise you got you gotta act confident otherwise they're not gonna give you a job right but I feel like I still I see it I see it slowly happening that people are just truthful to their knowings you know Mm, so if you truly know something and you're truly confident about something then like yes have the passion have the joy to talk about it and but then at the same time not being biased because when we're biased when we feel like we know everything we know this Mm. so much then it doesn't allow us to learn more even in something that we are really comfortable talking about and sharing yeah um someone told me this once I don't remember for the life of me who it was yeah Um, but someone told me once that every single person you meet in this world will know something that you don't 
Mm. And you can learn something from every single person that you meet. Wow. Yes. I feel like that's why you kind of cross paths with them. So they could teach you something. <laughs> Otherwise, why they're in your life or why do you meet them? Yeah. Yeah. So I think never underestimating what someone else might be able to teach us. Definitely. Even if someone who's like toxic to you, I feel like they really teach you something. Yes. That. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you just get a nerve. <laughs> as hard as it sounds, they do teach you, but, um, yeah, that's something that I learned too, that toxic people are not necessarily bad people. They're just, they could be good to, for, to someone else, but they're not good for you. And I also think that no one is toxic 24 seven. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, um, especially if we're going to bring mental illness into it just a little bit, yeah. I think a lot of times symptoms of mental illness are labeled as toxicity. Mm. And um I really hope that the next thing that we tackle collectively, um, because we're talking about mental health more than ever before, about, you know, wellness, about all these beautiful things. Um, I'm diagnosed with bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. When you Google those disorders, some of the first like questions that Google will prompt you is, um, are borderlines capable of love? <laughs> Oh, wow. and there are entire Instagram pages dedicated to um, literally hating on people with borderline personality disorder because they are toxic and hateful and horrible and going to ruin your life um, and you shouldn't trust them and you know all of these different things and it's the same thing we do with addiction it's the same thing we do with a lot of different things um, and so I think that's kind of going to be another conversation that we're going to tackle um, as we go deeper into if we can find capacity to empathize with people who have anxiety or depression, let's, let's move forward with that. What about people who are schizophrenic? Mm -hmm. You know, what about when like with borderline personality disorder, what about when your friend is splitting? What about when they have an episode? What are we going to do together then? Because I don't believe in someone bullying someone else. I really don't. And mm -hmm. I won't stand for it. But I also do believe, um, and I think <laughs> growing up with parents who definitely have PTSD, definitely are struggling with a lot of things. And if they did walk into a psychiatrist's office, they'd be pegged with a lot of labels. Growing up and seeing so much love and so much just joy and light in a relationship and also navigating a lot of childhood trauma and a lot of things that happened that were really not okay. Mm and seeing those exist in the same people mm. and understanding that those things also exist within me. I look at some past relationships, I look at things and I regret them. And I think, holy shit, that was a moment of me being toxic. That was a moment of me um, not knowing how to regulate my emotions and then like literally imploding onto somebody else. Um, and it's really like, how can we support one another better throughout those things? and have a deeper understanding for all these different factors. I love that what you said, because I feel like we hear a lot about cutting the toxic people out of your life, mm -hmm. but we don't really hear, hey, how can we understand why this, why this is it, right? Why this person is treating us this, or why am I treating this person like that? And I feel like, I guess the bigger question is like, because people say you're only, I guess, yeah, it's like, do you want to believe in a world that you only live here once? So you want to just do whatever you want to do? Like you want to just be around people who are not toxic or treat you well? Or do you want to be around um, or, or, or your job is not here? You're here to encounter with everyone with different um, just levels of being and yeah, how does that work? Uh, I think, uh, again, context matters. Again, so many like specifics matter. But I will say this, um, like it's very funny for a while there, a lot of white people were like, I'm going to cut out my extended family because they're racists. <laughs> and it's like, no, bro, someone's got to do the work. <laughs> someone's yeah. got to do the work um, because we can't just keep going deeper and deeper into this division. That's not how anything is going to get better ever. Um, but at the same time, I do think you do need to protect your energy. You do. You also, you need to honor yourself 
Um, and so that's why I say context matters. But at the end of the day, like the work's gotta be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not going to, people need to be included into conversations. People need to be um, brought in. And sometimes I think other people need to step up and do that work more than others because historically marginalized identities have been doing all the motherfucking work when it comes to social justice when it comes to all these things Um, because they experience it they've been there but when you it's it's weird because it's like when you've experienced it when you experience oppression then you have the agency to be activists or to make a change but if you and that's the thing I think that's the thing with like why only when we are not benefiting from something we're doing something how can you be yeah, how can you be benefiting from a system and still be against it and still mm. work for it? The whole thing with indigenous community, I feel like all the immigrants, mm. they're all benefiting from the system. Um, all the all white people are benefiting, like everyone is benefiting except indigenous communities, but yeah. <laughs> I think um, that's a really great point. Um, I think that a world that is free from oppression is a world that is going to benefit every single person in that world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For If I'm thinking for myself, I'm not indigenous, but I want indigenous people to get land back. And the reality is that's gonna make my life better. Because if you think about the climate crisis, if you think about so many things that are fucking horrible in this world, Indigenous people have the wisdom and the knowledge to literally fix it. Mm-hmm. And so that is a weird way. It would, it would come back to me. It would. When I think about patriarchy and cis men, I think about how so many of them, I mean, that's why the suicide rates for men are higher. There's so many things, like literally so many men are struggling <laughs> under patriarchy. They're literally being burned alive by patriarchy themselves, yet they're still defending it. But the reality is, if we lived in a world where patriarchy didn't exist, men would be happier. Mm. The very people that are so, so-called so benefiting from it, most of them would actually live more fulfilling lives. Wow. They would have better relationships. They would have better sex. They would just like, their lives would be better because their whole identity wouldn't be connected to manhood, which is, or to the idea of manhood right now that is really just power and we think we're benefiting but we're not (laughs) we're not we're really not um wow that blew my mind (laughs) you changed me oh my god Anna you just like what (laughs) I can talk to you for hours honestly I know I was gonna say we have been talking for so long (laughs) I literally just look at the time and I'm like oh damn we got to wrap up a little bit. Um, yeah, but I feel like there's just so much that we touch and it's all just like such um, really nuanced, complex things that, you know, it's going to it's gonna bring that conversation out of us. What can we do? <laughs> totally, totally. This is so beautiful. Do you want to share as, as you're exiting? <laughs> yes. Um, would you like to share um, a poem with us that you wrote? Yeah, you know what? I will take this moment to shamelessly... Um, promote a project that I'm working on. So I'm currently working on a collection of poetry. I call it my baby because um, I have, I would have birthed it twice by now. That's how long I've been working on it. (laughs) So I have given birth twice in the past two years. Uh, I should be fucking, where are my presents? Yes, mama. (laughs) Yes, literally. I'm I'm a mama. Where were my Mother's Day gifts? I don't know. But um, (laughs) the project is called Manic Depressive Dream Girl. And I'm really hoping that in the next um, few months that are coming out, I'll have a more concrete plan of whether I'm going to be self-publishing or doing it through a publishing company. I'm waiting for a few for a few emails back here and there. Um, so I'll see how that goes. Um, but I would love to read two poems from the collection. The first one is really short and it's just, um, it's the first poem in the book. And I think it really just speaks to kind of like what inspired me to write all this. Um, Yeah, and it's called Manic Depressive Dream Girl. Because I don't think I'm a manic pixie dream girl, but I definitely think I'm a manic depressive dream girl. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Hi, it's so nice to meet you. 
I'm your local manic depressive dream girl and I'll be your server this evening. Tonight's special is my attempt at honesty while still entertaining you. I'm no machine, but I would be lying if I said this isn't manufactured. Nothing more than stardust and misreputation, really, but who am I, this entirely fabricated being to judge your reductive fantasy projection? I'm a roller coaster rock princess, your dream girl on drugs, but only the prescribed kind. I'm losing my mind trying to juggle all of me the right way for you, but I always make sure to look damn good while doing it. I have a DJ board for a brain. Walking feels like falling to me. The smell of authentic moments with you takes me out the door only to trip me over myself as I run back into your arms. I get dizzy thinking of all the ways I could fuck up a sentence. I'm hungry for so much, but always full when the food arrives. I never stay one feeling too long, even when I want to. Bless my mind because I've never been bored, but fuck it because nothing is ever calm. I am fleeting, gone as soon as I came. I want more only to want out. Pause, start, rewind, fast forward, system overload, public breakdown, psychiatric self-admittance, reboot. Reboot, reboot. Only to be back in time for my next shift. Ready to say hello to it all over again. Ready to say hello to you all over again. Wow. Oh my God. He took me to a journey, Anna. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. Are you planning to publish this? Yes, I am. Um, it'll be definitely, you know, big, long collection um, that really just gets into the root of my experience with sexual violence, my experience with patriarchy, with misogyny, with uh, how that intersects with race and has for me throughout my life with mental illness, um, with different diagnostics, with love, with PTSD, with lust, with sex, with gender, sexuality. It really, it just, it, I took myself on a journey writing this. Mm -hmm. um, so I will share one more poem. Yeah. If we have the time. Absolutely. Um, this one is tentatively called Generational Trauma Bonds, but I will most likely be changing the title. I am a body belonging to what other people want me to be for them. A body, objectified before fully realized, oh, the wonders of growing into your version of woman. The thrill of occupying sin before humanity, a constant idea purged throughout the ages, never the reality itself. Chewed up and spit out, only to rinse and repeat come morning. Mondays, I am a virgin. Tuesdays, the town slut. Wednesdays, a wife. Thursday, the mistress. Friday, the goth girl at the bar you are terrified of. Saturdays, do not bother calling. I am busy saying I do at my arranged marriage. And Sundays, I do not go to church. I become it. And when the week restarts, so does the cycle of code switching between identities never created to serve me, rather I, them. But I am not a girl. I am a switchblade turned phone charger by morning, a rigged test and the student taking it restrictions that tell on themselves, a vessel constantly set up for failure, only given a rug to see my reaction as it is pulled out from under me. The fun was always in watching my sisters and I turn ourselves inside out, climbing the ladder only to find there is nothing at the top for us anyways. I have a nervous system built on the backbones of misogyny. I only receive peace between my costume changes. I'm still finding remnants of the women before me wedged between my teeth, pushing to finally scream into history, loud enough to be heard in fullness, while they tell me how much I remind them of themselves at 20. Oh, my heart so related so much. Oh my God, I really enjoyed the whole, the days. Monday, mm. I'm a virgin. Wednesday, I'm a wife. Wow. Yeah, because the reality is, and that's why I manic depressive dream girl, because what am I, if not just someone else's projection? <laughs> wow. Like, what am I, if not an illusion? What am I, if not like just different versions of me that are all me, but also none of them are me. Wow. None of them are me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Who's you? You are like, you know what I love? I feel like in both of these poems, like everything that we talked about today, mm. it was in those poems like it's just so what you do really well is that you bring in all of yourself into your poetry mm -hmm. like your mental health advocate you know your um 
you know what I mean? Like, just like you bring in everything that you're passionate about, your activism, your different activisms into one, which is you. That is like the biggest compliment you could possibly give me. I'm oh. <laughs> it's art. And I feel like that's why it's, it's, it's literally you make art because you're able to be your full you in your poems. Mm. Wow. What a compliment. <laughs> that I'm gonna take that with me thank you oh my god thank you thank you so much for joining this episode like I can like I said talk to you forever (laughs) you're amazing I just I just love when I learn something new you know from people who come to these um, episodes I just feel like I feel like it's so interesting because I feel like my questions and the conversations that I talk about people that I invite are the questions are similar but the answers mm. are always different. And I feel like that's the beauty of it. And yeah. I thank you so much for sharing uh, your heart with me. Oh my God, with your poems and with who you are. Thank Where you can so we find me. you? Where can we find you on? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I'm actually in the process of making a website right now. So hopefully that'll be up later this month. Woo, woo, woo. Yes. Um, but for the time being, you can find me on Instagram and just at anna.hita, H-I-T-A, dot Monferid. And hopefully I'll be getting a link tree together so that I can have, you know, different links to all my different things. Um, But yeah, so just give me a follow on Instagram. That's probably the best place to catch me at the moment. Yes, follow Anna. I love that. Thanks again, love. Thank you so much. This was just so wonderful, like such a breath of fresh air. And you made me really think about things deeply in a way that I haven't in a hot second. So thank you very much. Aww, thank you. I hope to see you one day in person. Like I'm just yes. like, what the hell? <laughs> you will be in person. It will be well, lovely. It will be powerful. Okay. Love mm-hmm. you. So much love, love for friends. you. <laughs>